All right. Well, let's go ahead and dive in this evening. Um, before we get started, um, it's obvious as you got here tonight and as you're looking around um, that I, I just want to sh- say to you all who are here tonight, thank you for being here and thank you for your patience through this process. Uh, if you've been around Cornerstone any length of time, you know that you know the 11th commandment here is be flexible. <laughs> and uh, you know we're just happy to be flexible through this construction time. Um, my hope is that you guys will just bear with me. I had a decision to make. It was either start now and be in a room like this for a couple of weeks with no carpeting and all this, or probably wait till April um, to even get started. So it was one of those things. I decided that I would rather put up with a little bit of the inconvenience and hopefully thought that many of you would be willing to hang in there with me to do that as well. Hopefully we'll be in here for just a couple of weeks, and then we'll be back down at the end hallway at the big room. It should be done by then. We'll be much more comfortable, much more spread out. It'll be a really nice room. And then, uh, as soon as we all move into the new building, uh, we're on Tuesday nights going to be in the big adult classroom over there in the new building that seats about 150 to 175 people. So, you know, we're getting there. And I just hope that you guys will be patient with me through that process. And again, I'm just so glad you guys are here. We'll be back here in this room uh, for sure next week. So uh, just plan on coming. Maybe there'll be carpeting. Uh, Maybe there'll be a doorway. You know, we don't know. But uh, we're going to try to, you know, get the rest of this room finished uh, as much as we can. So we'll see. We'll see. But we're glad that you all are here, and uh, I'm glad to be here tonight. Glad to get the mind started back up. I have missed it. And as many of you know, uh, this semester we're going to be in the book of Hebrews. Uh, So if you've got your Bibles and want to follow along, we're going to start out there tonight. Um, I think one of the reasons why we're in the book of Hebrews this semester is probably about a year ago I mentioned in the mind that Hebrews was my favorite book of the Bible. And so I had several folks... uh, say last semester, well, gee, Jeff, if that's your favorite book of the Bible, why don't you teach it in the mind sometimes? So they had to twist my arm really hard to do that. But anyway, we're glad to be doing that and hopefully just sharing some encouragement through the Word of God. For those of you that have never been at the mine, let me just again uh, reemphasize a couple things. You could have studied the Bible for 30 years, and you might never have been in a Bible study in your life, and I think you'll get something out of the mind. You don't have to bring any kind of Bible background into this setting. Uh, My main thrust of my Bible teaching is to present positive, practical truths from God's Word that we can apply to our everyday Christian life. We're not just here to talk about, you know pie-in-the-sky, buy-and-buy type of stuff, how does that relate to me? We're here to talk about every week things that we deal with and that we can apply to our life. And uh, let me just also, though, say that many people have stayed away from the mind because they can't come every week. And one of the other messages I'm trying to get out to the congregation is you don't have to come every week. Uh, Each message will sort of stand on its own And if you do miss a message and you want to catch up, we tape these messages and they are on the website. All you have to do is go on and you can listen to any of them. So if you miss one or two or whatever. So anyway, we're trying to sort of get the word out about this. And we just want to encourage people, just like Pastor Lynn's message on Sunday, to get more into the Bible. uh, To study the Bible more, to read the Bible more, to just get connected with the Bible and one of the ways to do that is through the My Bible Study that we offer here at Cornerstone on Tuesday evening. So again, all of that said. Um, the other thing uh, is this. Um, let's just ask the Lord to be with us tonight. Um, we've got some other, I think, exciting things that's going to be coming down the road with the mine. Uh, we're going to be enhancing it a little bit. Uh, besides refreshments that were wonderfully brought again tonight. Uh, We've got a website. If any of you would like to get on that website or learn about that website or whatever for the mine, uh, Mike Haddich would be the guy to see uh, about that. And uh, 
If you have any questions about the uh, taping and all of that, please see Ron. Ron comes each week and tapes us here. And I just thank the Lord for all of you that are helping out with uh, everything and just being here. Just appreciate it so much. All right. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time. Let's open up with a word of prayer and then we'll dive into the book of Hebrews tonight. Father God, we uh, thank you so much again for the opportunity we have to uh, once again just open up your word and be together tonight. I just pray, Father, that uh, the Holy Spirit would ultimately be our teacher tonight and just uh, remove me, Lord, from uh, hindering in any way, Lord, the message that you want to get to these folks tonight to encourage them in their walk with you. And, uh, Father, I just thank you for this group who's come out tonight and obviously made a little extra effort even to be here tonight and to navigate this and to get to this room. Lord, I just pray you would bless their efforts and may they leave here tonight being glad that they took uh, this time out of their schedule on Tuesday evening to be here. We want folks to continue to to be hungry for your word and uh, to, to thirst for your word and your truth. And we want to see that sort of attitude expanded upon this church campus and see more and more people who are just hungry to dive into the Word of God and just get more connected to the Bible. So, Father, use the mind as just one of those ways that we can do that. And just encourage us again, we pray tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. I, as you know, am not one to delve into a lot of historical background But I think with the book of Hebrews, I want to just take a few moments and share with you a little bit of where this book fits in, all right, in the message of the New Testament. It's called the book of Hebrews because it was primarily written to first century Jews. But it was a book that the author knew that this book was going to be in wider circulation and was going to be a message that Gentiles and people like us was going to read one day, and it was going to also affect us and be an encouragement to us as well. And I'd like you to first um, turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 10, actually. We're going to go back and start at the beginning, but I want to start here tonight for a very good reason. If I had to sum up sort of the main background of this book, it is this that must much of the book is being addressed to a group of people who have embraced Jesus Christ with their first century Jews. And they are under a lot of persecution. They have suffered a lot. They are getting beat up. Not just literally, but I mean, you know, spiritually, emotionally, physically. And they're struggling because they haven't just been going through this trial for a short time. They've been going through this trial for quite a long time. And so the writer of Hebrews is writing this letter to these folks to try to encourage them to hang in there and to persevere and to endure. Well, hey, obviously, that's a message for all of us. Because it doesn't matter where we are in life. Life sometimes throws us those curves. We go through trials. We go through tribulations. And sometimes we all realize that it's not the intensity of the trial that sometimes begins to wear on us, because the trial is such a big trial, a lot of times it's the longevity of the trial that wears us out. In other words, it's something that just seems to drag on and drag on, and it just seems like there's no end in sight, there's no relief, okay? That's sort of where the audience was, in their minds, to what they were dealing with when he writes this letter. So in the weeks to come, as we study the book of Hebrews, I want you to keep that in mind. That that's sort of the backdrop, if you will, of why he's writing this, and and who he's writing to, and what they're going through. And we see a little glimpse of that. Obviously, when we get to chapter 10, we'll look at this passage a little bit closer. But if you go to chapter 10, look at verse 32, where the author says this. He says, remember the former days when you endured a harsh conflict of suffering after you were enlightened. At times you were publicly exposed to abuse and afflictions. And at other times you came to share with others who were treated in that way. 
For in fact, you shared the sufferings of those in prison, and you accepted the confiscation of your belongings with joy, because you knew that you certainly had a better and lasting possession. So here's sort of the crux then of what he's getting to in verse 35 and 36. So do not throw away your confidence, because it has a great reward. For you need endurance in order to do God's will and so receive what is promised. If I had to sum up the backdrop or the background of the book of Hebrews, this passage would be a one passage that you could use to sum that up. These people were beginning to, to throw in the towel. They were beginning to throw away their confidence. Their faith was being shaken. Again, they had been in this trial, if you will, of their faith for a long time now, and he, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this author comes along and says, I want to encourage you, just hang in there a little bit longer. Don't throw away your confidence in the Lord and in His Word. Uh, one of the things that uh, the writer is going to continue to emphasize is, God is faithful, and when you and I put our trust in Him, even in the most difficult and trying times of life, we're going to have a strength given to us that is not our own that can help us navigate these difficult times in our lives. Alright? So that's sort of, again, the backdrop of the book of Hebrews. Come on in, folks. Thank you for... No, no, you're fine. Hey, we're, we're all just sort of hanging out here. You know? We're all just being really flexible and, again, patient. I thank you for that. Alright. Now, if you go back then... To chapter 1, for just a moment. If that's sort of the backdrop of Hebrews, there's also sort of many themes that run through the book, but one that I just wanted to sort of emphasize tonight is this, because it ties into what we just said. And that is, if you just read the book of Hebrews, one of the things you're going to continue to see is that Christ is better. In other words, what the author is simply saying is, folks, don't forget, Christ is better. He, he's better than anything else that you can stack up against. So if you, if you turn your back on Christ, if you forsake Christ, if you say, well, Christ isn't it, I've got to go find something else, he says, where are you going to go? Because Christ is better. And he's trying to remind the readers of that. And he's reminding us of that as well. That when we get to the times in our life where our faith is shaken and it's like, well, Jesus, I, I just, you know, and, and, and we try to go somewhere else to get comfort or strength or whatever. It's like, well, where else are we going to go? Who's, who's going to do better than Jesus? Christ is better. So like in the first chapter, you're going to see he talks about Christ being better than the prophets of God. Because though the prophets spoke the word of God, Jesus is the word of God. And he talks about Christ being better than the angels. And even though the angels are supreme created beings that God created one day, they are just part of his creation. He, Jesus, is the creator. And then he talks about him in chapter 2 being greater than Moses. And he talks about how, yeah, Moses led the nation of Israel, but Jesus built the nation of Israel. And then he talks about how Christ is better than the, the uh, priesthood and, and Aaron and Levi and the whole priesthood line because he says, listen... Yeah, they're great. They, they helped offer sacrifices and intercede for the people of God, but He is the one and final and supreme sacrifice of God. So throughout the book of Hebrews, you're always seeing Him contrast Jesus Christ with anyone and everything else and trying to remind us that no matter what in life, Jesus Christ is always better. In fact, you know what? I should have had you turn here. Keep your finger in Hebrews chapter 1. I promise we're going to dive into it tonight. Go to John chapter 6, the Gospel of John chapter 6. I just thought of this passage. It sort of goes along with this. If you go to John chapter 6, go to verse 66. And just a little bit of background. Jesus has just been teaching his followers and those who are following him at this point in his ministry some tough things. He's just laid some hard things out there, okay? And many of those who have followed him to this point, as we read in John 6, uh, chapter 6, verse 66, have decided at this point that they're just not walking anymore with Jesus. This is just, 
this is too much to take. I, I'm just not going there anymore. I, I'm not following him anymore. So you'll notice that John picks it up in John 6.66 with this. That after this, after many of these hard sayings that Jesus has given here, many of his disciples, not the twelve, but many of the other disciples who were following him at this point, quit following him and did not accompany him any longer. That's pretty, pretty strong, isn't it? In fact, uh, in the original language, it's a once-for-all thing. I mean, it wasn't like they left him for a while and then came back after they felt better about it. No, they, they once and for all, left following Jesus. In verse uh, 67, Jesus says to the twelve, You don't want to go away too, do you? And notice Simon's answer. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. I love that. Peter's basically saying, Jesus, if we left you, if, if we went trying to follow some other guru or prophet or teacher, who else would we have? You're the only one that has the words of eternal life. You're it. If we stop following you, who else or where else are we going to go to get what we're going to only find in you? I love that. That ties in with the theme of the book of Hebrews. That's what the author's trying to say. They say don't, don't turn your back on following Christ. I know it's hard, but hang in there. Keep following. Keep trusting. Don't throw away your confidence. Persevere. Endure this trial that you're going through. Even this very long trial. Because it's worth it. It's worth it. There's no one else or nothing else that you're going to turn to that's going to be any better than Jesus Christ. He is greater than anyone or anything else. And so when you and I in life, again, you know, think that somehow something else is going to satisfy over Christ, the writer of Hebrews would say, no, 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 before you go there, remember that Christ is better, superior, than anyone or anything else. That's why I love Psalm 23, where in the very first verse, he says, The Lord is my shepherd. What? I shall not want. If I'm truly following my shepherd, and I believe that he's a good shepherd, as he says in John chapter 10, that he's going to take care of me, one of his sheep, then I don't, I'm not going to want for anything. He's going to supply whatever I need. I just need to keep trusting in him to follow him even sometimes, as the psalmist says, when he takes me through the valley of the shadow of death, I need to keep trusting in him. I can't turn to anyone else or anything else because no one else is going to be able to shepherd me like Jesus. He is the best. He's the greatest. There is no one else like him. And so again, I sort of wanted to set the stage because everything else that you know, we sort of discuss and talk about now for the next several weeks as we talk about the book of Hebrews sort of comes back to that. All right? Now, I'm going to stop in just a moment for any comments or questions, but let's go finally get into the Hebrews chapter 1. And let me just say this. When you come to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, one of the first things you notice is that he doesn't argue for the existence of God he simply assumes the existence of God. He doesn't take a lot of time to debate God's existence. He simply says, After God spoke long ago in various portions and in his various ways to our ancestors through the prophets, in these last days he's spoken to us in a son. And simply he is saying there in verse 1, Listen, God exists and God has spoken. That's what he's saying. God exists and God has spoken. All right. Um, and then he begins to contrast the fact that God spoke in, in different, in, through different avenues in the Old Testament. And I like to look at it this way. It's sort of like in the Old Testament era, God spoke through a spectrum of different shades of light. Okay? But when Jesus Christ came, he was sort of the prism that gathered together all those different spectrums and condensed them into one just beam of light. And that one of the things he's going to say here to us and to his readers is, again, 
that Jesus Christ is the full and final revelation of God to man. And that God has spoken and that God has given man everything that we need to navigate this life. He hasn't answered all of our questions, but He's given us everything we need to know. Not everything we want to know, but everything we need to know. And it's contained in this book, and it's been revealed through His Son. And it's very key here that the writer of Hebrews is also saying that once Jesus Christ came, that that was it. That, that God somewhere in history isn't going to say, oh, P.S., postscript, Jesus Christ didn't give us everything that, that we need. We needed to add something on to what Jesus Christ... No. See that? We believe that when Jesus Christ came, that that was it. That the revelation of God then to man in a sense, was closed at that point because everything that God had done up to that point and then including the ministry of Jesus Christ has given to mankind everything that we needed. And we'll continue to do that until Jesus comes. Alright? So again, he's contrasting that. The important thing I want us to remember is this. God is speaking to us today. Yeah, He still speaks to us. And He primarily speaks through His Word. And that's like Lynn was saying Sunday in his message. That's why we need to get into it. Because if we want to know the will of God, if we want God to speak to us, then we've got to connect with this book. We've got to open it up. We've got to crack it. We've got to begin to read it and study it and become a part of a Bible study like this or whatever where we begin to explore the Word of God and allow God to speak to us because He wants to speak to us. He wants to share with us, and He has spoken, but we need to receive it. You know, sort of like God sent this great letter, but it's up to us to be able to open up the letter and dive in and get into that, and that's part of what He's saying here. And so, again, He's reminding these Hebrews who are going through a real hard trial, He says, look, God doesn't need to say anything else to you. God's already spoken to you through Jesus Christ and given you everything you need. You just need to hold on to that, and we're going to get to that in a, in a little bit. All right, I want to just stop there for a second. Comments or questions up to this point? Anything? Yes? It, it, it seems like the, uh, the Jews at this time were expecting more of a, uh, a quick fix. They, you know, like if they were going to follow Jesus, they were expecting the end of the world you know, to be coming probably in their lifetime. Is that basically why they were, you know, struggling with this? You know, they, they thought that that was it. And, you know, they were gonna... um, certainly there was that, that expectation. In fact, that's why a lot of Jews didn't even follow Jesus at all. Because he told them, uh, I didn't come to set up the kingdom at this time. The kingdom that you're looking for that was predicted in the Old Testament is something I'm going to set up one day, but I came to suffer and die on the cross. And, and it goes back to that whole thing I, I've shared before. It's like, you know, the Jews again are like us, and I'm not picking on Jewish people. I'm just saying we're all like this. You know, we've got to be careful that when we read the Scriptures, that we don't treat it like what I, and I'm dating myself here, okay, I'm going back a few years, like Burger King religion, have it your way. You know, or like a smorgasbord where, you know, you go to a buffet line and, oh, I like that. I'm, I'm, I like that. So I'm going to take that. I don't like that. I'm, you know, and, and some people, that's the way they are with the Bible or with the word of God. God has spoken and they like that part. So they latch on to that. Yeah, I like that. They don't like this over here. So they reject it. So in the Old Testament, you know, the Jews latched on to the whole thing about the kingdom and the, they love that part, you know. They didn't like the part about the suffering servant, about the one who was going to come and lay down his life. They, they didn't like, because again, yeah, they were under the oppression of the Roman Empire. They wanted the Messiah to come and overthrow the Roman Empire and set up his kingdom and make, you know, Israel, you know, the, the center of the world type of thing. And that wasn't going to happen at this time. And so they were looking at it again from their sort of skewed perspective and again, we've got to be careful that we, when we come to the Word of God, that we're open to God speaking to us and not coming with preconceived notions or ideas 
so that you know, we don't see what God truly wants to say to us because we've already got our mind made up. And that was true of the Jews. But I think, too, in this context, that part of it, too, was just that these folks who had embraced Christ, and I realize not everybody that was going to read this letter had embraced Christ in their life. Uh, some of them hadn't. But for the ones that did, they were under tremendous persecution. Because, you know, don't forget, they left the, the temple, and they left Judaism, and they left all that their forefathers and ancestors, you know, was precious to them, and in a sense, they turned their backs on that, and they embraced Jesus Christ. Because they realized Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of all that back there, and, and many of their family members and friends didn't realize that, because they never accepted Jesus as the Messiah so they, that's why back in that Hebrews chapter 10 passage we read, many of them had their goods confiscated. Many of them were thrown into prison for their faith. I mean, it was just like today. If you go to China or India or places like that in the world where there are Christians and they're underground and they're probably meeting in a lot smaller rooms than this packed in just trying to hear the Word of God and whatever because they don't have the freedom that we have and they're suffering for their faith. That was true of them. And it was just one of those things that it wasn't letting up. And I think the writer of Hebrews is coming along and saying, look, be encouraged. You know, just keep hanging in there even though you're going through this tremendous time of persecution and, and trial. But Did you, you know, in all your reading, do you get the feeling that the uh, disciples are giving them a long-range view? You know, so that it's going to be after they're dead and, you know, and so forth and generations, or are they getting the feeling that, you know, it's coming soon in, in their lifetime? Um, I guess to answer that succinctly, a long-range view. Uh, as, as I look at it, uh, I look at it this way, um, I, they don't give them any promises that things are going to get any better anytime sooner, but what the Bible does promise us always is that the strength and the grace and the ministry of God can sustain us through those difficult times. It's just sort of like with Paul, when Paul had the thorn in his flesh, and he goes to the Lord and says, Lord, can you take this thorn away? And God says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says, I'll glory in my weakness, uh, because it, it wasn't that God was going to take that thorn out, but was going to give grace to Paul, Paul the grace to deal with it. And I think the message of the book of Hebrews primarily is not necessarily that God wouldn't deliver some of them out of the persecution that they were going through, but that God was going to supply the strength that they were going to need to endure and persevere the things that they were going through. Yes? Who authored this book? You know, that's a good question. Uh, that, that is probably one of the most debated things about the book of Hebrews, uh, is that... Uh, you know, it doesn't like at the beginning say, Paul wrote the book, or Luke, or whatever. I have my opinion, but I am so not dogmatic about it. Only because there, there's good arguments for many different authors, uh, biblical scholars. Many of them think that Barnabas is a good choice. Uh, some people think Aquila and Priscilla, or Priscilla alone, is a good choice. Some people still think Paul wrote this book. I don't. Uh, I, my personal choice, and I'm not the first one to come up with it, uh, but uh, I lean towards uh, Paulus being the guy who wrote the book of Hebrews. And if you want to know maybe why I believe that, if you read Acts chapter 18 about Apollos and his ministry and his heart and passion and background, and the fact that Apollos, and this is just again a clue if you're interested uh, the Bible says that Apollos was from Alexandria. If you study books of the Bible, books of the Bible are no different than us today. If you go to different parts of the United States, you have what's called colloquialisms, local expressions that only people that live there and grew up there know. Like, my wife and I grew up in Maryland, okay, <laughs> on the East Coast. And a lot of people think Maryland, Maryland is in the South. You know, we're still fighting the Civil War there back there, not part of the... But anyway, certain parts of that area, they talk and you would go there if you've never been from that area and you go, what did they just say? You know, because it's local expressions. All right. Uh, in the book of Hebrews, there are what are called Alexandrianisms. 
And these are just sort of expressions that for somebody who lived and grew up in Alexandria, they would use, uh, and other people wouldn't even maybe know what they are. Okay? And again, I'm just giving you some things to think about, but I'm certainly, my, here's my stance on who the author is. God's the author of the book, as many people say. You know, ultimately, God authored the book. Who's the human author? Well, the book of Hebrews is probably the most debated as far as who the human author is of the books of the New Testament. And, uh, you know, I, I, I lean towards Apollos, but there are, good, there are good reasons for other people too. And there's good arguments, I guess, against Apollos too. So, but that's a good question. Yeah. Um, cool. All right, let's keep going. After God spoke long ago in various portions and in various ways to our ancestors through the prophets in these last days, He's spoken to us in a Son whom He appointed heir of all things and through whom He created the world. The Son is the radiance of His glory and the representation of His essence. He sustains all things by His powerful Word. Don't miss that. Again, the author keeps coming back to the fact that the Word of God is powerful and that the Son, Jesus Christ, spoke powerfully. To us, even. Not just to them, but to us, Jesus Christ has spoken. And His powerful Word continues to speak to us today. And His powerful Word can help us with the most difficult things in life. Let's not forget how powerful the Word of God is. The Word of God works. It works in our lives. It works in other people's lives. Let the Word of God loose in your life and other people. It's powerful. And we're going to see that again in Hebrews chapter 4. Alright? So when He had accomplished cleansing for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. Thus He became so far better than the angels as He has inherited a name superior to theirs. And again, in this first part of Hebrews chapter 1, He's just simply raising Jesus up. And He's just simply saying, Hey guys, let's not forget... How awesome Jesus is. Who He is. That He is God of very God. And He created the world. He sustains the world. He, all these great things about Jesus. And oh, by the way, He has spoken to us. And he, he wants to speak to you. And it's like, wow. You know, I mean, it's not like just any old person spoke to us. But Jesus, the One who made us. The One who sustains everything in the universe. The One who died for our sins and cleansed us of our sins, the one who because of that now is seated at the right He's the one who's speaking to us. Wow. You know, unbelievable. God wants to speak to us. And I always try to remind myself, I think God certainly wants to speak to me more than I want to listen to Him. That's just true. You know? And one of the things hopefully that we will... Be reminded of, again, very practically as we study the book of Hebrews is, am I listening to God? You know, because God wants to speak to me. He wants to lead me. Just like, again, going back to Lynn's message on Sunday. He wants to share with me His will. Not just His common will, but that special, unique will He has for my life. He wants to share, he wants to share that with us, but are we listening? Are we truly in, you know, wanting to hear from Him? And that's not just a question we can ask ourselves, at least for me, on a yearly or monthly or weekly basis. I have to ask myself that question every day. That when I get up, am I truly wanting to listen to you today, Lord? Or am I allowing so many other voices and so many other things to fill my mind that I can't even, you know, hear you? Um, A couple of things you're going to see here in this chapter is this. The author knows, again, primarily who his audience is. And that's always cool for a communicator to be effective, to know who your audience is in order to connect with them. Well, he knows that his audience is primarily Jewish people. And that Jewish people, one of the things that they held up was angels. You know, even to the point that some of them worshipped angels and, and put angels a little bit too far up. that Yeah, they're magnificent creations of God, but folks, don't forget, they're just creations of God. They're not God. So don't go any further than you should. You know, Maintain that balance of the view of Scripture. And so what he does in chapter 1 is he contrasts again the angels who are magnificent creations of God 
with the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and says, oh, by the way, you realize there's no comparison, right? Because Jesus Christ is God. He created the angels. So don't, don't try to put the angels or, again, anybody else anywhere near Jesus Christ. He is so far above everything else that He created. And the angels are just one of those things that He has created. Notice He goes on to say, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are My Son? You see, Jesus is the Son of God. The angels are the servants of God. Today I have fathered you in another place. He says, I will be His Father. He will be My Son. When He again brings the firstborn into the world, let all the angels of God worship Him. He receives worship from the angels. The angels are the worshipers. He's the recipient of worship. So again, I'm just telling you, throughout this whole chapter, He's just sharing with us the excellencies of Christ. He's trying to lift up Jesus Christ to His audience. Because remember something here. They're going through a tough time. And when you and I go through a tough time, here's what can begin to happen. We, even as Christians, can begin to take our eyes off of Jesus, who we need to really keep our eyes on, and we begin to put our eyes on people, or circumstances, or other things. And then when we turn our eyes away from Jesus, all of a sudden, just like Peter, walking on, you know, he was walking on the water. Then he takes his eyes off Jesus and looks at the storm and the wave and he begins to sink. You and I do the same thing. So one of the reasons why the author spends so much time at the beginning of this book lifting up Jesus Christ to these people is the same reason he would do it to us. He's saying, don't forget who Jesus is. And so don't take your eyes off him. Because again, if you take your eyes off him, who else are you going to put your eyes on? Who's going to help you more than Jesus Christ? Who has the answer more than Jesus Christ? As Peter said, Lord, to whom else are we going to go for the words of eternal life but You? You're it. So once we take our eyes off Jesus and put them on anyone or anything else, guess what? We're going to be in trouble. Because no one else can help us like Jesus. But many times we forget who Jesus is. I mean, you know, even as Christians, yeah, He's the Son of God, you know. Yeah. But I think the, the old thing is, and this is for those of us who've been Christians for quite a few years, Familiarity breeds contempt. And it's almost like you know enough about Jesus and yeah, He's the Son of God, He's great, I love Him, I worship Him, whatever. But even we need to come back to books like Hebrews and remember who it is we're keeping our eyes on. Who it is we're praying to. Who it is who's speaking to us so that we can again be energized and encouraged and charged and realize, wow, I'm not just following just anybody. I'm not just following a good teacher, a great prophet, whatever. I'm following the God of the universe who's keeping everything sustained and who created it all. And that's who I'm following. That's who I'm keeping my eyes on. And that's why, again, he spends so much time in the first chapter lifting up Jesus Christ. If, if you take nothing else out of here tonight, I hope you will just take an uplifted view of Jesus and just realize again how great he is and that I just got to keep my eyes on him no matter how tough life is right now that I'm navigating. Notice he goes on to talk about, again, the sort of the place of the angels. He says in verse 7, His angels are spirits and ministers of flame of fire. Literally, in the original, winds. Well, the wind is just, you know, what is part of the weather that, you know, comes again. That's what they are to God. You know, they are the winds. They are the messengers. They are the servants of God, you know. Uh, they're there to do His bidding and, and what He commands them to do. Um, but of the Son, verse 8, He says, Your throne, O God, there's the deity, again, of Christ, is forever and ever. A righteous scepter is the scepter of Your kingdom. You have loved righteous, hated lawlessness, so God, the Son of God, Your God, the Father, has anointed You over Your companions with the oil of rejoicing. You founded the earth in the beginning, Lord. You, you are the creator of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. Listen, the heavens and earth will one day perish, but you will continue because you are eternal. You are everlasting. You are sovereign. They all will grow old like a garment and like a robe. You will fold them up one day, but they, and they will be changed. But notice at the end of verse 12, you are the same and your years will never run out. And again, he's just trying to put Jesus up there and say, guys. Don't forget who it is we've got to keep our eyes on. Don't forget who's trying to speak to us. Don't forget who's praying for you. Don't forget who's trying to encourage you. It is the Lord of glory Himself. He can be no higher than what the author is trying to paint Him in our minds of how great He is. 
Now again, just real quick, at the end of chapter 1 then, coming back a little bit to the angels, he's reminding his readers, but to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? And here's a great verse. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve those who will inherit salvation? That's you and me. You see, the angels even, far from you know, having this too highly exalted position in many people's minds, actually the Bible teaches there are servants. That in the economy and plan of God, they are to serve us. And I believe that the Bible teaches that there have been times in my life where I was ministered to by an angel and I didn't even know it. And I was protected by an angel and didn't even know it because they're around us all the time. And they are sent out to minister to us. To do what God would have them to do. So again, he's trying to put the angels in their proper place in these people's minds and also put Jesus in, their pro- in His proper place in their minds. Now, real quick, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, speaking of angels, I want you to keep your finger there. We're going to come back to Hebrews and go back to the book of 2 Kings. Are any of you getting like hot like I am? I'm like burning up. So much for needing heat in here. I'm just going to open this up for a second. I know I'm full of hot air, but... 2 Kings chapter 6. I just want to pick it up in verse 15. I'm just going to set the backdrop for you here. 2 Kings chapter 6 verse 15. You guys getting too cold with me doing that? Am I good? Okay. If you want to prop that open or leave it open a little bit, go right. I don't want to make you guys cold than everybody else's. All right. Here's the deal. The great prophet of the Old Testament, Elisha, is just one step ahead of the king of Syria. Every time he tries to send a raiding party down there, uh, God tells Elisha where they're going to be, and Elisha warns the king, and so, he, and so the king of Syria is just like fed up. He's like, I'm tired of this. I'm just going to send my entire army down there. I'm going to wipe this guy. I'm going to kill this prophet of God. He's just, ugh, he's just a thorn in my flesh. All right? So the king of Syria sends this huge army down to basically destroy one man, the prophet Elisha in the Old Testament. Well, Elisha has this servant of his, his attendant named Gehazi. And this, I just, I just try to picture this guy. You'll notice in verse 15, the prophet's attendant got up early in the morning one day. When he went outside, there was an army surrounding the city along with horses and chariots. And he says to Elisha, oh no, my master. I mean, it's like, okay, these two guys, they, he looks around and he sees the entire city encircled with the Syrian army. It's like, I'm sure he said more than, oh no, my master. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I love it. What will we do? There's two of us and there's the whole Syrian army. Now notice, Elisha replied, I love this. Keep this in mind. Don't be afraid, for our side outnumbers them. Now, wait a minute, Elisha. There's two of us. There's the whole Syrian army. Don't be afraid. Our side outnumbers them. Listen, I don't know what you're going through in life. I don't know what, but but I know this. Don't be afraid is the message from God to you. Don't be afraid. God always outnumbers our enemy. In fact, we don't even need anybody but God. Paul says in Romans, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who, who, who can mess with us if, if we and God are on the same side? But then God has all these ministering spirits, these angels that He sends out. And I love this. Elisha prayed, O oh Lord, open his eyes so he can see. And one of the things we're reminded of is, listen, people can't see things of of the spiritual world unless God opens their eyes. God has to be the one. You and I can't open people's eyes to the spiritual realities out there. Only God, we can pray like Elisha for God to open their eyes and open their hearts, but only God can open up people's eyes to spiritual realities. The things that we know are there, but we just can't see them. Because we, again, trust in God's Word. 
And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and I love this. He saw that the hill was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. God had sent an army too. It was an army of angels that day to protect Elisha and Gehazi from the Syrian army. Folks, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. If you have the Lord in your life, and then don't forget, God has all these ministering spirits called angels whom He sends out. And many times we don't even know it. I mean, we know they're there because, again, we accept it by faith. But we don't see them. They're invisible to us most of the time. Although the writer of Hebrews does make an interesting statement in Hebrews 13. He says, be careful how you entertain a stranger. Because you may be entertaining an angel and you might not even be aware of it. Hmm. Might change how we treat strangers from now on. I'd hate to get to heaven one day and meet this angel up there and go, you treated me terrible that day. You know, I was in need of help or whatever. And I just came up to try to have a conversation with you and you shut me down. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. If I'd have known you were an angel. <laughs> anyway. But anyway, I hope that encourages you. So anyway, that's just one of the illustrations in the Bible of these ministering spirits sent out to minister to those or to serve those who will inherit salvation. Now, pretty much everything that he said in chapter 1, again, is just building up Jesus Christ. And here's why. Here's sort of the linchpin to chapter 2. Therefore, and again, I've shared with you before, when we study the Word of God, Anytime there's a therefore in the Bible, it means that everything that came before that therefore is there for a reason. And it's just simply saying that, okay, based upon everything I just said, now know this. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Now, a lot in there, because this is the main thing I wanted to get to tonight. Because this is really the main thing of the first couple of chapters. I mean, yeah, chapter 1 is magnificent because it just holds Jesus Christ up in His glory and His majesty. But the whole reason for doing that is to tell His readers, oh, and by the way, this Jesus who has spoken to you, please pay attention to what He has said to you so that you don't drift away. Well, again, the reason we need to pay attention is to who said it. The Lord of glory said it. We, we should take what he says seriously. And I love this because it also reminds us that a lot of times we can, we can know something in the Bible. We can know that verse. We can maybe even quote that verse. We've got that verse memorized. But are we truly paying attention to that verse and truly letting it impact our lives and grip our hearts and change our thinking. That's what he means by paying closer attention to. I mean, all of us can say, you know, my God shall supply all my need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.19, and God will never leave me nor forsake me. And we can quote all those verses and those promises and those words of encouragement, but, you know, they're still not going to do any good unless, as the writer of Hebrews reminds us, we pay close attention to those things and really focus on what is being said and embrace it and accept it, you see, and believe it. I can know all the promises of God in the Word, but those promises won't do anything for me if I don't truly believe it. In fact, to skip ahead a little bit, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but you know I always do. Go over to chapter 4. And look at verse 2. For we had good news proclaimed to us just as they did, speaking of the children of Israel in Moses' day. But the message they heard did them no good, notice, since they did not join in with those who heard it in faith. They heard the message. They heard God. Gee whiz, Moses even brought two tablets down from it and said, this is what God has said. You know, I mean, can't get any clearer than the Ten Commandments. You know, that whole Charlton Heston, that was cool. Anyway, um, 
God spoke there too. But the reason it didn't do anything to change their life and to change their outlook on life is because they didn't believe it. Because if you and I truly believe something, it's going to change the way we live. If you and I truly believe something, it's going to change the way we live. That's what the writer of Hebrews says when he says, pay close attention. Believe it enough to make a difference in your life, to change the outlook on your life. Because going back then, notice he says in chapter 2 of Hebrews, verse 1, so that we do not drift away. Drift away. He's comparing the Word of God and the promises of God and the things that the Lord of glory Jesus has said to us as a way to have some stability and an anchor to our life. Because he's using a nautical term here. And he's basically saying that you and I can just sort of allow the Word of God and whatever to just, and to just drift by it instead of being anchored to it. Alright? And that's very dangerous. We all, even today, can do that. We can begin to know the Word of God up here in our heads, but then just sort of drift by it or allow it to drift by us and not allow it to be an anchor that truly we build our life upon and that we have that security and that stability built into our life through the Word of God that only the Word of God can give us. And that's why he's saying you folks are in danger of drifting. You're losing your confidence. Your faith is shaken. And you're in danger of just drifting and being carried out to sea and carried who knows where. Because, you know, if you've ever been to the ocean or whatever, you know that, and I've told you this story before, I, I used to love to go to the ocean. Just one of my little quirky things. Okay, you'll learn how quirky I am. And I used to love to get on a raft and go out into the ocean and just lay back and just drift. I used to love to see how far away I was from where I started when I finally wake up or something. You know, now, Nowadays, that was probably stupid because a shark could whatever. But I used to love, and, and you know, we grew up on the East Coast and we would go out there and we'd go to the Atlantic Ocean. I'd just go out there as far as I could uh, and I'd just lay on a raft and I'd find a spot on the shore of where I started and then an hour, an hour and a half later, I'd look up and, oh my goodness, you could be miles. I mean, that, that could take you, that current could take you way far away. And you know what's, and if you've ever done this, you also know that in that state, you don't realize you've went that far. You, you look up and go, oh my goodness, my family's like a mile up the beach there. It's so subtle, isn't it? Because when you're drifting, that's part of the, sort of the, you know, the lure of it is you don't realize you're drifting. Until sometimes you look up and go, wow, I, I should have been anchored back there. And now all of a sudden I find myself way over here. That's what he's trying to tell them. He says, look, you've got to take the words of Jesus, the encouragement of Jesus, the Word of God, and you've got to anchor yourself to that so that you don't allow the world and the thoughts of the world and the opinions of people and the misbeliefs of people and, and even maybe yourself and all of that to allow you to drift past where God wants you to be anchored. And He wants you and I to be anchored to Him and to His Word and not to go through this like drifting. I mean, you think, how many people in this world do you know who are just, they're just drifting? They, they don't have any, any mooring, any stability, any security at all in this world or the world to come. And they're just sort of on that raft, just letting the world take them wherever the world will take them. And God says, I don't want my people to be like that. I want my people to be firm. In fact, the importance of this anchor and this whole nautical thing is repeated in the book of Hebrews. Go over to Hebrews chapter 6. And here's some good verses to take away from the first week in Hebrews 2. Look at verse 18 and 19. So the writer of Hebrews says this to his audience. He says, so that we who have found refuge in Him... Oh my goodness, have you found refuge in Jesus Christ? Wow, that's huge. I hope you have. I hope you have found refuge. And if you haven't, I invite you to find refuge in Jesus. Because I, I will tell you this, you will continue to drift in this world until you anchor yourself to Jesus Christ and find refuge in Him. And notice, so that we who have found refuge in Him may find strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Through two unchangeable things, since it is impossible for God to lie... And then I love verse 19. 
We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. An anchor for the soul. You see, the hope that God gives us is an anchor. We don't drift. We are anchored to Him and to His Word so that whatever comes down doesn't push us and cause us to begin to drift away. But that was the danger with those that He was uh, writing to. And let me again just remind you that when you read the Bible, the word hope in the Bible is different than the way we use the word hope in the English language. When we use the word hope in English, we're expressing a wish. When we say, like, I hope something happens, we're saying, I wish something happens. But we're not sure of it. There's no certainty there in the English language of the word hope. And this word hope in the Bible, it is absolute confident expectation. And the reason it's different is because our hope is not founded on anything else but on God and on His Word. And like he says, and God can't lie. So you have the character of God, and you have the promises of God. What more do we need? And that's what the writer of Hebrews is reminding them of. That's the anchor. We can be sure of our hope. That's why our hope is an anchor. Because we're not like, well, I think I'm going to heaven. No, God wants you to know you're going to heaven. He doesn't want you to, you know, he doesn't want you to like be up in the air about that. He wants you to be sure about that. He wants you to be confident about that. He wants you to be confident about what he's speaking to you and where he wants to lead. He wants you to be confident about that's the hope that God and God's word can give us. And I hope as you and I study the word of God together and get here on Tuesday nights and just open up the Bible, that God will continue to encourage you with that. Just one other thing. If you go back to Hebrews chapter 2. So he doesn't want us to drift away. He wants us to take what God has said to us very seriously. That's why he says in chapter 2 verse 2, if the message spoken through angels proved to be so firm and every violation or disobedience received its just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? We won't. And I don't think he's talking to unbelievers here. People who don't know God. Because I don't think you can neglect something that you don't have. He's not talking about them rejecting a great salvation. He's talking about them neglecting a great salvation. I don't know about you. I can't neglect what I don't have. And I love this word neglect. Because again, it goes back to sometimes the mindset that we have as we even approach the Word of God. That we don't take it seriously enough. And that we don't hunger for it enough and that we don't get into it enough because, yeah, it's the Bible. I'm not going to make time for the Bible. You're not going to make time for the Bible? You're not going to... God spoke to you. You're not going to make time to have God... I mean, the Lord of glory is speaking to you and you're not going to take time to do that? Uh, and, and, and again, it's not that we wake up one day and go, I hate the Bible. No. We would never say that. It's a neglect thing. It's, it's almost like well, you know, I've got so many other things that are piling up. It just, it's just sort of one of those things that just sort of, it's neglected. And you and I all know in life that all we have to do is not do anything and just neglect something and it, it deteriorates. Property, if you neglect it, deteriorates. Your car, if you never take it in for an oil change and keep up with the maintenance, if you just neglect your car, it's going to stop running after a while. You neglect your marriage or your friendships or whatever, guess what? You just neglect it. I mean, you don't even do anything, you don't even do anything negative. You just neglect it and eventually it's going to deteriorate. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. He says, listen, this relationship you have with God is so important, you can't even get to the point where you say, well, there's just so many other things that are more important. No, that's just, you can't neglect it because you and I are all going to pay a price for that. And part of that price is we're going to start drifting. We're not going to have that hope anymore and that encouragement through our relationship with God and through His Word that we could have. Because we're just drifting now. We're not being anchored by the hope that God gives us. This word in the Greek language is the word amel asantes. The reason I share that with you is because it's also used in Matthew 22, verse 5, when Jesus is giving a parable of the great wedding feast, inviting people to come, and their response is indifference. Oh, thanks, Jesus, for the invitation to the wedding, but uh, i got something else to do. Okay? That's the same word. 
In fact, it means to have the opportunity, but to ignore or disregard the opportunity. That's what the word in the original language means. To have the opportunity, but to neglect or disregard it. And listen, I'm talking to myself here. I'm not talking to you. I think to myself, I've been a Christian for 30 plus years and I've studied the Word of God for 30 plus years. But there have been many, many, many days where I just neglected it. It wasn't as important to me as it should have been. And, you know, I just, I needed to get back up and make it a priority in my life and make it important. Because he's saying to these people, he says, listen, I know you're struggling. I know it's hard. Even as a Christian, hey, it can be very difficult. But it's only going to be harder as a Christian if you don't stay anchored to Christ. That's only going to make your situation worse. The best thing you can do, even in the toughest of life circumstances, is to stay anchored to Christ and to His Word and keep putting your faith and trust there because at least in that, you're going to have the encouragement and the hope and the support and the strength that you need to navigate that very difficult time that you're finding yourself in right now. If you and I take our eyes off of Jesus... Who else are we going to go to? And so again, this is the message of the book of Hebrews. And I think it's going to be very practical for us. Because I don't know about you, but life can be tough at times. And this whole book is going to be an encouragement to you and I as we navigate this life and deal with some yuck and trials and tribulations and struggles and persecutions and physical infirmities, whatever you and I, relationship problems, and whatever, whatever. This letter of the book of Hebrews is going to speak to our hearts. Because it's going to tell us where to keep our focus, where to anchor our hope, where to find our hope, where to find our encouragement, and keep bringing us back so that we don't just drift. But where we truly are anchored and we know that we've got that stability in life and that we just got to keep putting our trust in the Lord and keep looking to Him in spite of what it looks like around us. Because like Peter... The storm can be all around us, but if we keep our eyes on Jesus, we can walk on the water even in the midst of the storms of life. All right. Questions? Comments? Tomatoes? Apples? <laughs> Listen, folks, I know that this was not an optimum setup tonight. Both it's hot, we're cramped, whatever. Thank you all for navigating this tonight. Hang in there with me. It's going to get better. I promise. Okay? We'll probably be back in here, though, next week. But I'm hoping that there'll be carpeting. Uh, there'll be doors. There'll be some more ventilation. There'll be an air condition if we need it. Uh, there'll be all those things in by next week. And then hopefully in another week or two, we'll be back down at the bigger room down at the other end of the hallway before we have to head over uh, to the new building. And I'm looking forward to that. If you haven't been in that new building or you weren't able to go in for the, the uh, walkthrough that one day we had it a couple months ago, we've got a really nice room for us on Tuesday night. I mean, it's the biggest adult classroom in that new building. It's just really nice. Yeah. So we can grow some more too. So, you know, keep talking about the mind. Keep inviting because I just want this to be an encouragement to people uh, to just, you know, get into the Word and find the encouragement that we get from the Word of God. All right. 110. Cool. Thank you. You all, you all are to be applauded for that, okay? You all are to be applauded for that. Thank you. Yes? And the good news is we won't have our homes confiscated. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, wow, what the, what the early yeah. had to go through compared to, to you know, how easy it is for us. It's mind-boggling. Well, that's what I think. You know, it's tough. I mean, this is, like I said... Yeah, yeah. You know, like we said, this is not, you know, comfort. And, and hey, we admit, as Americans especially, we're used to comfort. You know, I mean, let's face it, we are. And especially with all that's going on here at Cornerstone stuff, sometimes we're not in the most comfortable situations. But compared, you're right. If we keep thinking about what did those first century Jewish people deal with, 
what are a lot of our brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world dealing with tonight, uh, underground churches, things like that. I think we can put up with a couple weeks in this, in this room. I think we can do that. Yeah. All right. Okay. Let me uh, have a word of prayer and I'll let you folks go. Lord God, uh, help us to keep our eyes on Jesus. Uh, Father, help us just to keep Him lifted up in our minds and in our hearts. Uh, it's so easy, Lord, as we continue to walk with Jesus month after month, year after year, to sort of even take Jesus for granted. To begin to not realize who our shepherd is. Who's the one that we're following. How magnificent He is. And help us, Lord, to pay attention when You speak to us. I mean, really get it. Help us to focus on the words that You say to us so that, Lord, they can, they can truly become a part of us. And, Lord, that they don't just go in one ear and out the other. Or they don't just hit that rocky-type soil that the seed of God just sort of lays on top and never really penetrates and does any, any, brings forth any fruit. But, Father, help us to just be open and receptive to Your Word and to hear You when You speak and to know that You are speaking to us. And Father, You want to encourage us. You want to give us that hope. You don't want us to be drifting through life. And Father, I just pray that uh, this message tonight from Your Word was an encouragement to each and every person here tonight. And also one that they could take to others to encourage them as well. Because Lord, we realize that all of us are around hurting people all the time. There's people that we probably run into every day who are hurting. They're drifting. They have no stability. They have no security. And Father, we have the words that could bring them hope. So as You give us opportunity to share even what we learn and what we're hearing, Father, uh, may we be faithful to those opportunities You give us. And help us, Lord, not to be indifferent, not to neglect this wonderful salvation, this wonderful relationship with You that we have. Help us not to neglect the Bible Lord, that many times might just sit on our shelf at home and the only time we pick it up is when we come to church. But Father, help us to get into it and just to hunger for it and to thirst for it. Because Lord, if we do that, we know it's only going to benefit us and make us stronger. And Lord, we just ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Guys, you are wonderful. I love you. Have a great evening and a good week and we'll see you next week.